Read one verse today, and then you get to sit down for the rest of the time. And I alone will stand. I heard somebody just tell somebody else, well, they sure do stand a lot here. We keep you in shape. We believe in physical exercise. You can go out and say, you got a real workout at church. All right? I'm reading out of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. And I'm going to continue on this series of promised land thinking. Promised land thinking. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I want to read out of 1 Corinthians 10, 11 from the Living Bible. So if you're reading anything else, you're going to wonder where I got this. This is out of the Living Bible paraphrase. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. And while you're turning quickly, Wednesday nights we're teaching on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's been a wonderful series. Man, we've had a great turnout. It's grown every week. And we're learning about the person of the Holy Spirit. And there is a presence there. I'm telling you, I kind of sense something building. It's almost like we may have a visitation. It's, it's just like that. I mean, a real visit from God. And I'm believing that. And this Wednesday night, I'm going to be talking about the covenants of the Holy Spirit. Did you know the Holy Spirit covenanted before the world was formed to perform certain functions under and within the context of the new covenant, the New Testament, the blood? And, we're, and he's got a covenant agreement, a covenant to take care of you, minister to you. We're going to learn about those covenants on Wednesday night. Don't miss it if you can be here. Now, promised land thinking today. We're teaching on this because we're headed for our own crossing. We're going to cross our own Jordan. As a church, we've got to put on promised land thinking. So here it is. Paul says in verse 11, For we must never forget what happened to God's people in the wilderness long ago. God guided them by sending a cloud that moved along ahead of them. And he brought them all safely through the Red Sea. All these things happened to them so that we could read about them and learn from them. In these last days, as the world nears its end. Now, I find it incredible that by the Holy Ghost, Paul said, all Christians through the ages have been fed by this verse, but he, he pointed through the prophetic crosshairs at us in the last days, said, don't forget what Israel learned. Don't forget what Israel learned. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts. Now will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, renew my mind. If I've got wilderness thinking, give me promised land thinking. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I'm ministering on this because we're about to make a transition as a church. We're going to change locations in the very near future, and we've got to have promised land thinking. But it's not just for the corporate body that this message is geared. It's for every individual here. Every one of you need promised land thinking. There are things waiting in the promises of God for you, and the only way we'll ever have them is promised land thinking. You are not what you eat, but you are what you think. And you eat what you eat because you think what you think. You are 
what you think. And we all think. We're all philosophers by nature, believe it or not. We believe certain things about life, certain things about ourselves, certain things about the way the major issues of life should be worked out. We all think philosophically without realizing it. We're all thinkers. God wants to renew our thinking. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world. We've got a choice, but be transformed. Can you say it with me? Transform. How are you transformed? By coming to church? No, you can go to a lot of churches and never be transformed. How are you transformed? You are transformed by the renewing of your mind. You will never know the will of God for your life. You'll never fully grasp it until your mind is renewed. It says, be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may know what is that that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God for you. The will of God is even hidden from us until our minds are renewed. The Bible says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The Bible says that we are being renewed day by day in our spirits, that though the outer man perish and deteriorate, anybody looked in the mirror lately and realized that's true? You can only use makeup so long. You can only go to so many treatments so long. But age is going to catch all of us. The outer man is perishing. But the Bible says to the believer, the inward man should be getting renewed day by day. And the only way that inner man is renewed day by day is by the renewing of your mind. And how is your mind renewed? Your mind is renewed by this word. Your minds are renewed by this word because this word erases the old ways of thinking and replaces them with new ways of thinking. This word kicks out the old worldly thinking and brings in the new kind of thinking, God thinking. What is this book? It is 66 books of God thinking. And God says, renew your mind by the washing of water by the word. Renew your mind. He wants our minds to be renewed. We get saved when we accept Christ into our heart, and God delivers us from spiritual Egypt. But guess what? It takes him years to get Egypt out of our minds. We can be going to heaven in our spirit, but live in Egypt in our minds. See, a lot of us have been saved, and it stopped right there. Our minds didn't get renewed. And God desperately, longingly wants to renew our minds. He wants to change the way we think so that we look at the world like Jesus. We think like Jesus. We love like Jesus. As a matter of fact, he liked Jesus so much, he wants all of us to be like him. So we've been looking at promised land thinking. Promised land thinking is the result of having your mind renewed. Paul said, I want you to look back at the children of Israel when they were in Egypt, when they were in the wilderness, and when they went to the promised land, don't forget what they went through. Now, the Bible tells us that they went through three phases or three levels in their experience with God. They went through three levels. And remember, as I read these, you and I have been and are in one of these three right now. In Egypt, they, they learned that God was mighty to deliver. In the wilderness, they learned that God was mighty to provide. In the promised land, they learned that God was mighty to conquer. In Egypt, they learned to pray. They said, oh, God, get us out of here. In the wilderness, they learned to trust. But in the promised land, they learned to occupy. In Egypt, they learned that an anointing was on a man, Moses. And they trusted the anointing on that man. 
But when they got into the wilderness, they learned that an anointing was on a place. The anointing of God was on a place. The cloud by day, the fire by night. If they just stayed where the cloud was and where the fire was, God was there. There was an anointing on a place. But in the promised land, they learned there was an anointing on them. And how many of you can say, I'm learning that there's an anointing on me, that there is an anointing on my life. And it's one thing to trust somebody else's anointing. It's, it's another thing to trust a place. And a lot of believers live there. They trust another person's anointing or they trust some place where God is. But God wants us all to the place where we know there's an anointing on us. In Egypt, they requested, God, get us out of here. In the wilderness, they were tested. And in the promised land, they rested. The Bible says there is a rest for the people of God. Now, these are the things they learn. Paul said, don't forget these things. They matter to you because the children of Israel were physical types of spiritual Israel, which is the body of Christ, the mystical body of believers of which you are a part. So what they went through physically and what they learned in the context of old covenant, we are now learning in the context of new covenant. That is, we're learning that God is mighty to conquer, that he's made us anointed to occupy. He's on us. We can rest in him. We're learning the lessons they learn and not forgetting them. Now, I notice that every time they moved up to a new level, it was because their thinking changed. I want you to understand how important the way you think is. Because as soon as they believed a certain thing about God and their minds were renewed, they moved to a new level. You see, God can't take us where we need to go until he renews our minds. He wants us over there. But we're here until our minds are renewed. I want to know how many of you want to move onward, upward, and forward with God. Do you? Well, go ahead and give God a hand of praise. That's all right. Well, see, Israel wanted out of Egypt. But before they got out of Egypt, their thinking had to change. They wanted out of the wilderness. But because they had wilderness thinking, they were stuck in the wilderness for 40 years. And only when their thinking changed did they move on. See, before you're going to move on, God's got to renew your thinking. Then you come to know what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's will is good. God's will is acceptable. And God's will is perfect for you and me. I find when I look at the way their thinking changed, here's what I found. In Egypt, they had a slavery mentality. They thought slavery. They answered to the Pharaoh and they were under bondage. They had a slavery mentality. In the wilderness, they had a self-centered mentality. But in the promised land, they had a God-centered mentality. In Egypt, they were passive. In the wilderness, they were preoccupied. In the promised land, they became possessors. In Egypt, they were absorbed in their circumstances. In the wilderness, they were absorbed in themselves. But in the promised land, they were absorbed in God. In Egypt, they, they anguished in slavery. In the wilderness, they languished in unbelief. But in the promised land, they vanquished the enemy because they believed God could. In Egypt, they wanted out. In the wilderness, they wanted more. But in the promised land, they wanted God. How many of you see where God wants us as I read these things? If we'll just want God, God will bless our socks off. In Egypt... 
They focused on what they didn't have. In the wilderness, they focused on what they couldn't have. But in the promised land, they focused on what God wanted them to have. I don't know about you, but I've lived long enough to know that what he wants for me is better than anything I could ever want for myself. So I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In Egypt, they cried out in pain. In wilderness, they complained. But in the promised land, they proclaimed the glory of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want a complaining church, and I don't want a church in perpetual pain. I want a church that's proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to our generation. Notice with me that in each phase, when their thinking changed, they moved to a whole new level. See, a lot of times we say, God, please change my circumstances. And we're asking God to change our circumstances so that we can handle within what is without. But here's what God says. I'll change you on the inside. And have you ever noticed when things change on the inside, that's when God begins to change what's on the outside. See, God's got his hand on the dial. He knows just how hot to let it get. And then he holds it steady until the inside of us changes. And when the inside changes, outside, it often changes as well. He wants to make us more like Jesus more than we want to be like Jesus. Can I tell you the truth about God? He wants to bless us more than we want to be blessed. God wants to give us abundantly, pressed down, shaken together, and running over of the blessings of God. But to do that, he's got to change the way we think. He's got to change our thinking. They were stuck in Egypt till they believed God could. They were stuck in the wilderness till they believed he would. And when they believed he would, he did. Let me tell you something about you. If you believe you can't, you probably won't. But if you believe you can, you probably will. I'm going to tell you, there's a difference between positive thinking and Christianity. Positive thinking says, I can do anything I want. Christianity says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. There isn't anything that can stand against the child of God who's walking in the will of God, seeking the promises of God, walking in his purpose for them. He'll bring mountains down. He'll bring valleys up. He'll make a way where there is no way. He'll part a sea if he's got a part a sea to get you on the other side. God is pulling for us more than we want to be pulled. But I've learned something. I've learned that your thinking can take you down. I've learned that your thinking can hinder your walk. I've learned that your thinking can sabotage what God wants for you and for me. You see, those wilderness wanderers sabotage their calling by complaining and murmuring. They were thinking, they were thinking wilderness thinking, and I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But let me just remind you of what characterized slavery thinking. In Egypt, they were slaves way longer than they needed to be because of their thinking. They had been in slavery so long, they thought slavery thinking thoughts. In Egypt, they were focused on their enemy and not on God. So because they were focused on their enemy, they were visionless, hopeless, and helpless. And you know, some Christians are saved. They're going to heaven when they die. But if you ask them, how do you feel? Well, I feel visionless, and I feel helpless, and I feel like there's no future. Visionless, hopeless, and helpless. That's how I feel. 
I've got good news for you today. I hope you didn't come to hear some sad song preached from the pulpit. I'm going to tell you that our God is a God of vision. Our God is a God of hope. Our God is thinking thoughts like this. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. I've got a hope for you. I've got a future for you so bright, you need shades on if you're going to look at it. I've got a future for you. But see, in in Egypt, they were taken down by slavery thinking so that when Moses went to them and tried to impart vision to them, it says, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. They couldn't see beyond their pain. They couldn't see beyond their trial. They couldn't see beyond what had them down. They were focused on their enemy and focused on their problem. And that's exactly what we do. Instead of focusing on God, that's when we lose the victory. It's when Peter sank in the water. When he focused on the storm and not on Jesus who was standing just yonder. Saying, come on, Peter. Come on. As long as his eyes were on uh, Jesus, he walked on the water. People are always talking about Peter, or, or Peter sank in the water. They had to go back in the boat. Hey, let me tell you something about Simon Peter. That boy walked on water. He may have sank, but who can say in here, I walked on water. Peter walked on water until he got his eyes on the storm. And that is exactly what happens when you're in slavery thinking. Your eyes are focused on your problem. You say to yourself, I've always been in bondage, always been in chains, always had these habits, always been taken down by this, that, or the other. And you're focused on your problems, focused on your enemy, and God can't convince you that you can be set free. But Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Jesus said, he whom the Son frees is free indeed. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus said, I came to resurrect you from the dead. But slavery thinking, Egyptian thinking, says I'm, I'm enslaved and I can't get out. I'm going to tell you something, you can get out. And then in wilderness thinking... They weren't focused on the enemy as much as they were focused on themselves. They were self-absorbed. And I think this is where a lot of Christians live. They live in wilderness thinking. They have wilderness, a wilderness mentality. And here's what it's like. It's self-centered. It's self-absorbed. It's self-focused thinking. It is just like a baby. When a baby is born, the first year of its life or so, it can't do anything for itself. If somebody doesn't take care of it, it's, it's going to die. So you change those diapers, and you change those diapers, and then you change more diapers. All that baby says is, I want, I want, I want. He doesn't understand your needs. He doesn't recognize those circles under your eyes. He doesn't know it's 3 o'clock in the morning. You're having to get up for the third time. That baby doesn't know. And I got news for you. That baby doesn't care. That baby wants what it wants, when it wants it, and that's all that baby knows. But I'm going to tell you something. If that baby reaches four years old, five years old, and it's not walking yet, something's wrong with that baby. And you finally say, hey, walk. And that's why you're so thrilled when he takes those first steps, because you know it's delivering you from carrying him everywhere he needs to go. 
It's a great day when he takes those first few steps and walks because now you're about to be set free. Then when he feeds himself, that's a great day too. The more he grows, it's supposed to take more off of you. Now, when God looks down on the body of Christ in our day, there's a lot of people in wilderness thinking. And all they think about, it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about my needs being met, taking care of me. He's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He's a, that's the only thing the body of Christ knows, it seems to me. He's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And we think that he's like a Santa Claus in the sky. They're just going to give us everything we want when we want it. And all we say is, I want, I want, I want, I want. And that's the phrase that typifies wilderness thinking taking care of me. What's God going to do for me? He better bless me. He better take care of me. I'm crying. I'm whining. We throw pity parties. We pout. We mourn. We murmur. We complain. We come to church. You better preach me up because I've had a bad week. Steve better sing me up because I'm down. Let me tell you something. You know what God says to us finally? Walk. Amen, Pastor Jeff. Good preaching. I'm going to get this CD. I'm going to take it to people and give it away. We need to know that he's Jehovah Jireh. That's a part of our growing up in God. He revealed himself as Jehovah Jireh. But listen, in wilderness thinking, it's always about you. And if it's always about you, you're going to die with it always about you. You're going to live with it always about you. You're going to be frustrated because it's always about you. But here's what we learn from the children of Israel as we near the end of time. They got stuck in self-absorbed, self-centered, wilderness thinking and never transitioned into the promised land because they never transitioned into promised land thinking. Giants didn't keep them from crossing over. God didn't keep them from crossing over. Satan didn't keep them from crossing over. Wilderness thinking kept them from crossing over. It was the way they thought. You are what you think. When the spies were sent over to see the goodness of the land, two kinds of thinking went over. Twelve of them went over. Ten of them had one kind of thinking. Two had another. Joshua and Caleb had promised land thinking. All the others had wilderness thinking. Joshua and Caleb came back and said, we are well able to take the land. All the others said, we are not able. Joshua and Caleb brought a good report. They brought a bad report. Joshua and Caleb trusted God, but the others did not trust God. Joshua and Caleb said, we are stronger. But the others said, the enemy is stronger. Joshua and Caleb focused on the fruit of the land. But all the others focused on the giants of the land. You know, when God gets ready to do something for you and me, there's always fruit and there's always giants. There's never just fruit sitting there. No, you're going to have to fight to get it. That's just the way that God has set things up. There's always fruit and there's always giants. Promised land thinkers look at the fruit and say, that's going to be mine. Wilderness thinkers say, impossible, can't do it. God's not with us. We better turn back. Joshua and Caleb saw the enemy defeated, but the wilderness thinkers saw themselves defeated. Big, big difference. Joshua and Caleb were fearless. The others were fearful. Joshua and Caleb wanted to go into the promised land, wanted to go into the promised land. The others wanted to go back to Egypt. What was in the way? What was the issue? It was the way they thought. It was the way they thought. 
Now, you say, well, Pastor Jeff, what is promised land thinking? I was thinking about that. And I'm going to tell you what I think promised land thinking is in a nutshell. If I was just going to give you one phrase that describes promised land thinking and where God is taking us as a corporate body and where you and I need to be individually, here's what struck me about the promised land thinkers. They were people of the bigger picture. They were people of the bigger picture. You will never be an effective, fruit-bearing, promised land Christian until you embrace the bigger picture, which is God's plan. A traveler came upon two hard-at-work stonemasons, and he asked each of these stonemasons what he was doing. The first man replied, well, I'm laying bricks. He went to the second man and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm building a cathedral. One knew how, but the other knew why. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There is a huge difference between the person who knows how and the person who knows why. The person who knows how will always wind up serving the one who knows why. I want you to know something. You can know how to do a thing, but not know why you're doing that thing. And I don't want to do something for my life, which is too short, too brief, too quick, unless I know why. See, what God wants his church to get a revelation of is not just how to get saved, but why you got saved. Boy, it is quiet in here today. See, one knew how, the other knew why. And the one who knows why has found his or her purpose. And once you know your purpose, you're on the way. And what I'm talking about, when I'm talking about promised land thinking, promised land thinkers have not just figured out how, but they know why they're doing what they're doing. They know what the bigger picture is. We don't gather on Sundays. If I were to ask some of you, why do you come to church? Well, I just come to church because I just go to church. My parents went to church. My grandparents went to church. I think it's a good thing to bring the family to the church. Well, why are you coming to church? Well, just because it's the right thing to do. I'm putting in punching my clock. We don't gather on Sundays, folks, to punch a religious clock. Now, can I preach a little bit here today? We don't gather on Sundays to punch a religious clock. We come in here to glorify God in worship and to encourage one another in the faith so that we can go out from here as the salt of the earth and the light of the world and influence our culture for Jesus Christ. We don't just come in here to look at somebody's new suit, new dress, whatever. We come here to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness and to lift up his name and send you out. This is a gas station. We fill you up and send you out to burn for God. This building is not God's dwelling place. God doesn't dwell in bricks and steel and mortar and stone. He doesn't dwell in that. No, no, that's not where God is. You are God's dwelling place. You are God's house. You are where God lives. He has filled you with his spirit. You are where God lives. So when a bunch of us come together and we begin to worship him in the beauty of holiness, God comes out of us, flows out of us, fills the room. That's why people walk in and they say, the minute that I walked in the door, I felt something. I began to be touched. I began to think about God. Some have said I began to cry. I said, did it look that bad? 
They said, no, I came in here, I began to cry because something began to touch me. Well, what is it? Well, it's not God dwelling in this building. It's God dwelling in you and in me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's filled you with his spirit. And we are to release that spirit into a lost and dying world. That's why... We haven't been left on this earth. We have not been left on this earth to live out a life of humdrum mediocrity, just getting by until we die so that we can cash in our salvation, fire insurance, and go to heaven. No, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a called out, selected out, anointed people that you would show forth the praises of him who called you out of spiritual blackness into his marvelous light. That's why. My prayer is that everyone in this place will find what their why is. One day a missionary from Africa came to England. His name was Robert Moffat, Dr. Moffat. And he was talking to a group of people about that dark continent and the needs that were there and the people that were being touched and changed there and just what he had been doing there. Sitting in the audience was a young med student named David Livingston. David Livingston had gotten saved had given his heart to Christ. He knew how. He knew how to get saved. But he'd been praying. He said, Lord, I want to serve you, but I don't know how. Don't know where to go. Don't know what to do. And so he was praying. And he went to this meeting and started listening to this man. And then this man made this statement. He said, I have awakened and looked out, and I have seen the smoke of a thousand villages burning in the distance, filled with people who have never heard the gospel. And when David Livingston heard that phrase, the smoke of a thousand villages, it winged its way into his heart. It seized his spirit. It became something he could not get off of his mind. And suddenly the man who knew how found out why. I'm called there. David Livingston got out of med school, gave his life to serving Jesus in Africa and became the greatest missionary Africa has ever seen. All of us should have a smoke of a thousand villages somewhere. When I had just been saved for a couple of years, I'd had an incredible experience with the Holy Spirit. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I was excited about God, and I watched a movie. And this movie was called Go Ask Alice. And it was about a young girl who got caught up in the drug culture. And likable girl, they picked a great actress to play her. And it showed her trying to get out of drugs once it had gripped her with its icy fingers. And she couldn't get out. And in the movie, she died. She died from the drugs. And, you know, I was just sitting there watching a movie, and all of a sudden I just began to weep. And I wept, and I wept, and I wept for weeks over that movie. And I thought, that's who I want to reach, my generation, which is being taken out by substance abuse. My generation, 
So many millions wiped out by substance abuse. I wasn't weeping for her. She became a symbol of my generation. She became my smoke of a thousand villages. We ought to all have something. And if you don't have it, I'm going to preach it on you. Are you with me now? Where, where it's not just about us. It's about him. It's about him. It's about the bigger picture. Can you say with me, I've been called to a bigger picture. And it's not all about me. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, it's not all about you. That ought to be good news for a lot of you. It's not all about you. Let's just lift the burden right off of you. Some of you, your philosophy is, we've talked enough about me, now let's talk about me. I'm going to tell you something, it's not all about you. It's all about him. It's all about him. You will never be an effective Christian until you get a hold of the bigger picture. When I look at these wilderness wanderers, it's no wonder they couldn't cross over. They were paralyzed by wilderness thinking. In lust, they focused backward on Egypt. In idolatry, they focused around on other gods. In immorality, they focused inward on their own needs. In tempting Christ, they focused upward on him, but not in faith, in unbelief. In speaking against leadership, they focused blame instead of embracing personal change. But Joshua and Caleb were men of the bigger picture. Something else beat in their breast that did not beat in the hearts of the others. What was it? They had been grabbed, seized, taken hold of by the bigger picture. What was it they knew that kept them going? It was the picture that God gave to Abraham. And I'm going to tell you what it is because you're a part of it. He told Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And Abraham, guess what? Though you are childless, through you all the families of the earth, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. He gave him a huge picture. Here's my dream, Abraham. So a great nation out of which all the families of the earth would be blessed. But he didn't have one child. What kept that man going? From the time God gave him the promise to the time they had Isaac was 25 years. 25 years of barrenness, nothingness. The promise was not coming to pass. What kept him going? It was the bigger picture. See, you've got to have a dream bigger than you, stronger than you, wider than you, deeper than you, higher than you. You got to have a dream. So every time they had to wait, he said, I believe the bigger picture. It's coming, it's coming. See, we've got to live for something bigger than us or we're not living at all. A worldwide global blessing that would eventually bring the birth of the Messiah was the bigger picture. How else all the world, how else are all the families of the world going to be blessed but through Jesus the Messiah? So they crossed that Jordan, and when they did, they weren't just thinking about themselves. They were not thinking, well, now I get to have my little house on the prairie. I'm going to get my little acre, raise a few sheep. My needs are all going to be met. Thank you, Jehovah Jireh. (laughs) That is not what they were thinking. You know what they were thinking? This is the place where we're going to become a nation. And from here, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And one day, 
on a piece of that land that they would call Bethlehem, a child was born. Every square foot of that land they took, they were preparing the way for that day when a child was born. Jesus, who saves us from our sins. And when he was born, I ask you, have not all the nations of the world been touched and blessed by him? And it's not over yet. And we're going to do our part because we're a part of the bigger picture. We're just one church and a whole bunch of them flowing down the stream. One day I was at the San Gabriel River when I was a teenager with a bunch of my friends. They wanted to go inner tube, and this thing was roaring. And they said, all you do, Jeff, is put that inner, inner tube underneath you and just jump. And it'll carry you. And a few of them jumped in, and I watched them disappear, just bobbing like corks down the river. And I thought, I don't like that. And I'm going to tell you why I didn't like that. Because if I jump in there with that inner tube, I'm going to lose all control of my destiny. Because this thing was a roaring river. And no telling where I'm going to end up. See, there is a fear in surrender. But finally, as I watched my friends disappearing, I just said, oh, well, and I jumped. And you know what? I lost all control. I went bobbing down that thing. And I mean, it was rushing. And I realized immediately, I am no longer my own. I am the river's. And I'm not going to go where I want. It's taking me where it wants. So I might as well just kick back and enjoy the scenery. And we saw beautiful limestone walls. We saw these beautiful picturesque postcard type scenes in nature. And I realized how boring it would have been if I'd stayed on the bank. Church, let me tell you something. When you got saved, like it or not, you jumped in a river. It says, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. And when you get saved, you're no longer your own. You're a part of the plan. And the plan is the perpetuation of the gospel of Jesus Christ into all the world. We're just one of many bobbing down the river. So you might as well just kick back and enjoy it. Here we come, and where it takes us, I trust God. I know that I'm going to see things and hear things and experience things I would never have known had I not jumped. I jumped, and I've been bobbing down that river ever since. Amen. Amen. So can you say with me, I'm called to a bigger picture. The day you wake up and you say, it's not all about me. It's about him then you're thinking promised land thinking. Can we stand together? Amen. It's a great deliverance to quit living for yourself and live for something bigger than you. The best-selling book of all time, Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, starts out with four words. It's not about you. 
25 million people have read that. You reckon God's trying to tell our generation something? It's not about you. Thank you, Father.